Welcome to the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Cresty, and today I'm joined by Chris Hammond and Kevin Fenske. Both of these guys are new members to the Blue Coats Brass staff in 2020, but have pretty extensive brass backgrounds. So, Chris, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your musical background? Hi, yes, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to uh, the podcast so far, and thanks for, for having me. Some of my background is, uh, like most of us, we got our start kind of in, in drum corps in March a few years, and I got really lucky in, you know, when I was 19, right out of high school, I, I was able to join the Navy band. I lived in Japan for about four years and got to travel to about 14 countries in, in the, the South Pacific over there, and so wow. that was quite a uh, an experience, and where I got a lot of performance experience, you know, I, I still felt like maybe I need to go to college and actually learn <laughs> a thing or two about, you know, the instrument and music in general and life and stuff like that. So I ended up going to uh, FSU for uh, undergrad and um, I really enjoyed my time there. And then I, I went to uh, Northwestern after that. And that was really like a finishing school and that just kicked my butt living in Chicago and being around those fabulous musicians. And uh, I spent some time, uh, two years in the uh, Civic Orchestra of Chicago, which is the, the Chicago Symphony's uh, kind of training orchestra. And then I joined the Axiom Brass uh, Quintet, and I was in there for about five years. And we uh, toured um, internationally and uh, made some recordings and all that. And it was just, uh, I think, chamber music, particularly as a musician, is, is very helpful. And then I recently moved down to Houston, and I, I, I teach about 50 students, and, and it, it's a lot of fun. So you've done a few things. Done a few <laughs> things, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Kevin, how about you? Yeah, same, uh, so thanks for having me, Bob. I'm not as adventurous as Chris, I think, but I'm originally from North Houston area. My primary instrument's euphonium. Did my undergraduate studies at University of Houston in music education. And while I was there, I actually worked and taught lessons during that time, kind of makes full circle. I taught for Kristen Eck, who's the current mellophone tech, and then taught lessons and did marching band teching for Joni Perez at the Woodlands High School. Then after that, I moved to Austin, did my master's in euphonium performance at University of Texas at Austin. Um, while I was there, I played in the UT Wind Ensemble with Jerry Junkin and was a teaching assistant for the athletic bands. I marched for Santa Clara Vanguard in 2015. And then after that, I taught brass at several places, um, the Guardians, Vanguard Cadet Corps, and then the Vanguard A Corps. Uh, now I'm at the Bluecoats where I teach baritone cool. and euphonium. Currently living in Austin and as a full-time lesson teacher in the area with about 60 to be euphonium students. Awesome. So we wanted to discuss today, now that things are a little more challenging with the coronavirus and everybody kind of being on their own and no upcoming performance opportunities, it's become pretty challenging for musicians on many levels due to lack of performance opportunities, lack of ensemble opportunities. And so we wanted to discuss some ways to help take care of your chops during this time uh, when you don't have those opportunities to perform or play with other people, even just in a, in a rehearsal setting. So eventually we'll get past all of this, and hopefully for musicians we'll need to be ready to get back to the grind of performance and ensemble playing and other things like that. So we're hoping to give... Uh, or we're hoping to offer some tips on what to do, how to go about your practice sessions, different places to go uh, for music, or just all kinds of different ideas for the musicians out there. So we're going to start with the discussion of what do we want to get done? And so the, the idea of just setting goals in the first place. So what are your all's thoughts on just before we get to the specifics of 
I'm going to play this scale or I'm going to do this long tone exercise. Just what are some of your thoughts on just setting goals in general for your practice sessions? Well, I think you're right. First of all, this is kind of an unprecedented time. And generally, it's not until you get out of college that you have to start to think about like, okay, what am I going to do? I don't have a performance coming up. You know, I don't have a recital coming up. How am I going to, you know, keep myself motivated and, you know, at least at the very least maintain my chops uh, that I've, you know, over the years created. And I'm, that's one of the the challenges that I'm having, even with now eighth graders, they really don't have to think about those sort of things. They have quite a uh, a long time to do. So I think it's, um, it's setting small, medium and, and large goals. You know, we don't know how far it's going to be until, you know, you play a concert in a large group, you know, at this point, but I think we have to assume that that's going to come up at, you know, at some point that we're going to do that uh, again. Generally, what I see when I first get a student is if they have a goal, if they've ever even thought about it, it's it's too broad or too general of a goal. It's like, I just want to be good. You know, that's it's like, right. well, what does that mean? Or I want my sound to improve. It's like, okay, well, that's a little bit better. But, you know, in what way, you know, in, in what piece? So I think I, I learned from a friend of mine that, you know, on a daily basis of sitting down, let's say just the warm up you just write down three very specific things. It's like, and it could just be something that's very a given or, or something that's obvious. Like I want to, you know, basically go from not being warmed up to warmed up in, in five minutes, you know, that that's a goal. And I want to feel like I'm ready to play. And I, um, and, uh, and then maybe the third goal is like, now I'm going to plan out what I'm going to do in, in my routine or my, my fundamentals. Any thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, for me, um, just setting goals in, in general, short versus long-term, uh, for short for short term, I have practice session, have a goal in mind from the very start. I want to get better at X today. And then also long term, just work backwards from your goal. You know, where do I want to be three months out from the audition uh, versus a month, a week, et cetera. And at this time, we don't know when those auditions are happening because there are a lot of auditions getting canceled and postponed and, and all of that. And then going back to short term goals for, for practice sessions, keeping a journal, that helps me a lot writing down things like Chris mentioned. So usually usually those type of things along the short-term goals that can happen in rehearsal too. I want to, I'm playing a solo. Oh, I chipped this note. I want to make sure the second time, how do I get back to where I don't chip that note? Am I using my air? What am I listening to? Am I in time? Just those type of things. So setting goals can be in the practice room. It can be in a rehearsal room. It could be on stage, getting better at performing and performing with others. And whether students really realize it or not, these goals are being kind of laid out in front of them by their band directors and uh, maybe private, you know, lessons teachers. You know, if you're in Texas, you know, if you TMEA coming up, you have like a, a chair audition, you know, you have UIL, you have marching band. All these things are little carrots dangling in front of you that, you know, that you're just chasing and it just becomes easy. It's just like and just you wake up next year and it's like, oh, I'm a lot better. But when, when you have an absence of these things, that's where, you know, for me for the first time, it's like, man, what do I do? And I so it's important. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a job where you kind of have to, you know, dangle your own carrots out in front of you. And, and, you know, that's where maybe a private lesson teacher in this time, you know, with maybe online lessons can help you through that. Yeah. Well, I know, Chris, we talked before about coming up with a routine, you know, and I guess in many aspects of our life right now, it's tough for those of us that don't have jobs to go to every single day, or even if we still have to work and we're working at home, just setting a routine. So I know you talked a little bit about some of your thoughts um, before on how to 
go about that with your practice? You want to mm-hmm. offer some of those suggestions? There's certainly, I think the tried and true, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel and it's, you know, especially over hundreds of years now, I think, uh, if you go to any routine, um, those basics are kind of laid out. And I know with the blue way and what we use, I mean, all those are kind of laid out and there's even kind of a, a progression through the routine, you know, and I also want to say that, you know, I think uh, there is a difference between a warm up and maybe fundamentals or, or a routine. And, you know, the only purpose for a warm up is to kind of set you up for, so, so you can play the fundamentals and that what you have to play that day. And some days it could, you could wake up and you feel great. And I've had those where I could just pick up the horn and play other days. It could take a half an hour or, or like it never really seems to, to go. So, you know, you can have a, a set warm up that, that, that maybe you, you do, but if you start to listen to yourself a little bit closer and listen to your body and how it's reacting, uh, and it might be with what you played the the night before, or maybe what you didn't play yesterday. Uh, and so just kind of listening to yourself and, and feeling, um, feeling it out through the warm up with the fundamentals and the routine, you know, um, I think response in air is one of the first things that you have to get going. Um, I know that we, uh, any drum corps these days, you know, they're spending considerable amount of time, uh, on the air and making sure that the air is going and kind of waking up that whole system and that whole apparatus of, it's just not the, the air that I'm using to speak into this microphone. You know, it's, it's a little bit more intense, a little bit more focused. And, um, so, I think the number one thing is getting a response. And I talked to my students about like turning on a light switch. You know, we want it immediate. We want it to be easy and not forced and not a forced tone. And I, I, I generally do that through doing breath attacks with long tones. And then I'm generally doing some bends in there to, so that I can find the center of the horn and, and find the best sound and the most efficient sound uh, through there. I generally like to go into slow slurs from there. And that's just... I think of it as like a moving long tone and I am um, trying to move around the horn with that long tone air and I'm trying to find that perfect balance between how my air works, how my tongue is arching, and then how my aperture is kind of focusing that air stream. And then from there, it's up to you. I, I've been doing a lot of articulation um, uh, recently. I think that's something that maybe brass players we shy away from. If you're going to frack a note is generally through an articulation or that's also something that kind of eats away at our endurance at, at first. So, um, but articulation can, can really fix a, a lot of things that that's going on with your embouchure and, and things like that. And it's, it's generally the the biggest weakness that I find with students, um, especially as they're getting into high school and the, the demand for articulation is increasing uh, so much more beyond just maybe like a short note and a long note, you know, and, and the, the, the speed at which they have to articulate. So that's something that, that I really try and hit. And I think any professional too, with the limited amount of time. And I just want to tell the students here that um, if you think you're busy now, just wait until you know you get older <laughs> and at a, at a school, you're only going to get busier. So the more that I can kill more birds with one stone, the better. So if I'm working on multiple tonguing, I'm doing triple tonguing because there's a double tongue within a triple tongue. So if I'm working on triple tongue, I'm, I'm generally not worried about my, my double tongue. I, I think it's going to be fine. So I'm always looking for trying to kill as many birds with, with one stone as possible within my, my routine. Yeah. Kevin, what, what types of things do you do with, with like your warm up routine? Yeah, mainly I'm setting myself up for the day, you know, whether it's teaching for a full day, I'm taking 20, 30 minutes before my first lesson to get my air going and make sure I'm playing with a good sound. 
And then also focusing on the aspects of my playing that are weakest for me, you know, whether it's like Chris was talking about, you know, double tonguing, triple tonguing. I'm working on those with, with the breaks I have in the day that kind of resonates with me. What Chris said about, you know, teaching full time and, you know, we still have to get better at our own instrument. You know, some, some days I'm teaching from 7am to 5.30, 6 o'clock, you know, pretty much straight with a couple of breaks in between. And, you know, from a mental standpoint, that's really hard to pick up your horn and still want to get better, but you have to think about the end result. And so for me, I'm, I'm always trying to include some type of long, long tone lip slur articulation exercise in my own playing. And then from the very beginning, I'm thinking about playing melodies. I'm thinking about making music, whether it's a long tone exercise, crescendo, decrescendo, always giving that to my, to my own students. And then what Chris talked about too, killing multiple birds with one stone, always thinking about my breath and whether that's a long tone exercise and articulation as well, keeping everything light and the most efficient as possible, always making music and working on the things I'm bad at. That's kind of what I focus on from a daily basis. Yeah. And you might through the pieces that you play and as you get more and more difficult pieces, you're going to discover maybe you, you'll stumble across a weakness that you didn't know that you had. And so mm-hmm. that gets kind of added to the list of maybe things. It could be, you know, soft, low plane. It could be like quiet, high articulations. It could be wide slur leaps. You know, it can be very specific things. And an exercise that uh, a teacher of mine, Barbara Butler, had us do was basically in order, write down all your strengths to weaknesses in an order. And then she would take that list and immediately flip it upside down and say, okay, <laughs> this is where you're starting <laughs> at the top yeah. of that list. And, uh, you know, it, and no one is the full package, you know, as a instrumentalist, no one is the complete instrumentalist. And we, we constantly have to, you know, work on our weaknesses and just start attacking them. And I, I would rather approach them myself than have someone pointed out to me. That's, that's kind of my, my thing. Nothing's more embarrassing than someone, you know, kind of, <laughs> Uh, dragging that out of you or, or pointing that out, you know? Yeah. And I'm constantly figuring out, you know, I have kind of these levels in my head of, you know, articulation or technique or sound or, you know, phrasing. And every, you know, every few weeks or months, I'm constantly thinking, oh, this was better than it, you know, than it has been, or, oh, this is what I need to work on. And so there's kind of different levels that I, that I see in my mind. And kind of, if you look at a, at a stove, like back burner type things, like technique is going to be on the, on the front burner or sound is going to be on the front burner. And so I'm, I'm constantly keeping everything warm and having to move things around. And so that's how, kind of how I see those things. So Chris, one of the things you said I really liked was the idea of flipping that, that list upside down to start with your weaknesses. And I always talked with my students about that as well, because, you know, a kid would get a bad grade on something and, um, the parent would see that grade in the grade book and they're like, but I hear my kid practicing all the time at home. And so I pull the kid and I was like, what were you working on at home? Silence. <laughs> you're, you're playing stuff from middle school band, weren't you? <laughs> well, I, I was that and I played like some of the, the marching show stuff. And this would be during the middle of the spring concert season, of course, <laughs> but the parents don't know. <laughs> and so they just hear their kid practicing quote unquote practicing no you're not really practicing you're playing your instrument and so I would tell them all the time about the importance of you need to work on the stuff that you're not good at because it will it will create more fun in the long run because the kids like to play things they're good at because it's quote-unquote fun Mm -hmm. and it's not fun to play things that 
you can't play. And so that's, that's one of the tough things. And, you know, what a great time we have right now where we don't have all these other things that we're working on to increase uh, the list of things that we're actually good at. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And learning how to practice is a skill in itself. And that's, you know, I only get generally a half an hour with a student a week. And they're, I always tell them they're going to be their best teacher. You know, they're, they're going to spend more time with themselves and with me. So I, I, I'm really trying to teach them how to practice and practice uh, effectively. One of the things that they were talking about um, is either called the 80-20 rule or the Prieto principle. And that's, it's spending 80% of your time on the 20% that's the hardest of a piece. And if you take any piece and you break it down, there's a lot of whole notes and stuff that maybe repeats twice. And um, there's a whole lot that you can really, don't really have to practice. And I think we get stuck in the loop of starting from the first measure and then, you know, just going until there's a problem. And, um, you know, if you really just boil it down to the stuff that you can't play, and they, they do this with language too, because you don't really need to know that many words to be fluent in a, in a language. So if you kind of spend uh, the bulk of your time on the hardest parts, and I, that's why I really try and get them to have an eye out for what, like, you're at 80% on this piece, like being able to play. And there's only like these, these couple little problems. In it. And if you just really spent a lot more time on those, uh, those little problems, you would have like 100% and you would, you know, knock this out of the park. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about um, just a warm up process and a routine. What types of, you know, once you've, once you've done some long tones and, and just basically get your sound going, what other things uh, are good to work on at this time? You know, is it more fundamental-based? Is it more music-based? What works for you all? Kevin? Yeah, for me, I'm I'm thinking more fundamental-based for me right now. Um, since, A, there's not anything I'm playing in right at the moment, focusing on the things I'm bad at. And then also taking time to play music that I want to play, that I haven't had the chance to play, which is which is great for me. Going back to, you know, either old solos that I miss or... Um, especially in a time right now where, you know, uh, for me, I'm really feeling this. I, you know, miss my friends. I miss my colleagues. You know, I miss human interaction and and seeing my kids in person. Um, and so that kind of brings me back to old performances that I want to I want to look at on on YouTube or some recordings that I have. And so I'm 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 doing a mix of fundamentals and playing stuff that I miss or that brings brings me back to a happier time or stuff that I haven't gotten to yet. Um, there's already a couple solos that I want to order that I, that I want to get to. And so, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at right now. What kind of stuff are you working on, Chris? Yeah. Well, back to fundamentals, you know, that's, um, I kind of like, I I'm a variety of the, is the spice of life, uh, kind of guy with my routine. Um, I'm currently working through, uh, so Ray Mace is the trumpet professor at Juilliard. He's been there for a while and he actually has, he's made it available. It's his like 10 week routine and it's, it's all very standard, you know, Arben and Schlossberg and, Clark and all this stuff, but he has a rotation that, uh, especially for, you know, a professional that's pretty easy to get through, but it's, it's all very, uh, you know, technical based. Fortunately and unfortunately, you know, uh, a lot of how we judge people is their technical prowess and their, their chops, you know, and, and it's also an indicator of, you know, what you can do. You know, I think that that falls by the wayside, you know, pretty quickly, but yeah, there, there's some solos that I've always wanted to, to play. I like using etudes, so I, I kind of cycle through. I have a lyrical and a technical uh, etude that I like to, um, on about a weekly basis that I kind of uh, cycle through. And um, it really is kind of 
back to basis. And that's why it's an unprecedented time to kind of to hit these things. Normally, I wouldn't. I'm usually learning the solos that my students have to play, and <laughs> that becomes my or whatever performance I might have that, that's showing up on my stand that I have to kind of prepare for, you know. But right now, that those are uh, kind of going by the wayside as far as those uh, public performances. But yeah, it's just it's generally etudes. Um, you know, if you get really really bored by just the uh, the scales and you know um, arpeggios and things like that, I mean, you start to learn to love them. I think if you if you just keep your head down and keep practicing them, I think that you start to once you get in a routine and you start planning it out, you you, you kind of start to crave them. And uh, etudes are a good way to kind of work on those scales and arpeggios in a a little bit more musically satisfying way. Yeah, and one other thing I want to add to that is. Um, in terms of the routine, changing it up a lot, uh, for me, that, that helps. Um, a few summers back I did, it's like a six day routine. I gave myself a, a day off, uh, in there. Um, but you know, simple things as today, I'm going to do major scales, you know, on Monday, Tuesday, I'm going to do natural minor Wednesday, different, you know, different things after that and change up articulations, change up, you know, tempos, change up style that all helps me as well. And so you don't get, you don't get bored with playing you know, the same scales over and over again, the same way. Yeah. And by planning it out, like what you were talking about, like a six day rotation like that, you know, when you're uh, about to sit down to, to, to practice and you're motivated to practice and that, that can only strike, you know, rarely sometimes mm-hmm. it's like it, when you have that motivation to, to practice, you know, I, I tell my students, they really need like a sanctuary, you know, like if you have to like take out a chair and a stand and get your metronome and all that stuff, like you need to be like ready when motive when you're motivated and when you have to like get all your books and put it all together like hmm, what am i going to play now like uh you know then i think it, it saps away some of that motivation so if, if it's already planned out if it's already like you know in a pdf or something like that then you're going to be more likely to to get things done and and to to get that practice that good hygiene of practice uh, out of the way yeah one thing i need to i need to do more of is ask my kids at the beginning of the year if they have their standout. Cause I, this past week I did a lesson and he had, he, he was like, yeah, I need to go get my stand real quick. And it was still in the box <laughs> and <laughs> it was in his closet. And so he took it out and you know, they, you have, that's one thing that I want to make sure my students have is a place where they can sit down and practice and mm-hmm. not sit on a, on a bed and have a good chair and sit down. So that, that kind of reminded me of a, something funny that happened this week. Right. So as you guys are doing some of your online lessons with your students at this point, have you talked to them about a realistic practice regimen? Because, you know, we can say, oh, you guys have all the time in the world right now. You should do, you know, four hours a day, but they're not going to do that. So what what are you talking about your students as something realistic with everything that's going on right now? Yeah, well, I talk to them about, A, having a goal. We we talk about that every semester. It's like, where do you want to be at the end of the semester? I mean... Right now, it's a little bit different, but um, I'm assigning I'm assigning different solos, and we're acting as if solo ensemble is still going to happen. And you know, I mean, UIL's canceled, but if if they were to perform this piece, that kind of stuff. So having having those goals still in mind, and then also just having them a work on fundamentals. And I'm I'm changing it up for them because most of them aren't able to do that for themselves and they get, they get bored really easily. So I'm having them do two scales a week and then building on top of that each week and doing different techniques, exercises. And then I'm also assigning Roshu etudes and 
just more stuff for them to make music and apply those fundamentals for them. Everything that I introduce to them, I, I make sure that, that we go through it and that they know how to do it. I never take for granted that like, Oh, just do this and you, you know, be fine. So I, I always make sure. And I, I often tell them like, if, okay, we had the world's greatest trumpet player and you, you had their routine and you knew exactly what they did. If you just had that, that book and you were to play through it, that wouldn't guarantee that you become a great player. It's, it's kind of what they're looking for and, and how they're playing the exercises that really, and what they're listening for in the intent and the purpose behind it, that, that makes the difference. So I, 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 in my lesson in the first half, I generally work on the fundamental stuff and go through them and play it with them or play it back and forth now online. Cause it's, you can't really play with them now. Um, and then the, with the goal that next time I'm going to hear you play it and this is what you're going to do. I want them to have very um, achievable goals as in terms of the amount that they're practicing. And when they're in school and they're playing soccer and lacrosse and going on trips and all that stuff, it, it can be very difficult. But even a, a high schooler and a middle schooler, I'm telling them, if you can find three times of 15 minutes of purposeful, intentional practice, I think that if you can achieve that, then you're going to be uh, in, a, in a really good place in your you know, it's like the 15 minutes in the morning, if you're doing uh, the warm up, if you're doing uh, fundamental stuff, 15, 20 minutes in the afternoon, and then maybe you're, you're working on a solo or something at night, you know, that's still 45 minutes. And that that adds up a lot more. And, and what my teacher kind of said that good practice hygiene is like brushing your teeth. And it's, it's better to do it throughout the day for a little bit of time. And then to try and do like six hours, like on a Sunday, you know, like all at once, you're going to get better uh, a lot faster by, by doing these, these little chunks of, especially when you're, you're focused and have practice and you, you'll be fresh. And maybe that, that gets into a problem that we actually have more time than we ever know what to do <laughs> with. And, um, right. you know, that, that can be an actual problem too. I mean, especially as a brass instrumentalist, like you can burn out your chops pretty quickly in five minutes if you want, and you can destroy yourself for the whole day if you, if you really wanted to. And, and, you know, you might actually have a timer. And back when my students had homework and stuff, I don't know if they have homework now, you know, I would say like, break up your, your homework with some practice, you know, do 45 minutes of homework, do 15 minutes of practice, you know, and, and go back and forth like that. And so that, you know, it can be like joyful to actually play. And it's like a breakup from, from doing homework. But if you can just fit that in, uh, your schedule, uh, you're not going to burn yourself out and, um, you know, you're going to stay fresh uh, throughout the day and you'll, you, there's less chance that you'll pick up some bad habits. Right. Well, before we continue our discussion on this, let's take a quick break to hear from a couple of our sponsors for this episode. Hammond Design is the exclusive mouthpiece manufacturer for the Bluecoats. Carl Hammond is recognized by players all over the world for his commitment to excellence through superior craftsmanship and professionalism. That's why Bluecoats trust Hammond and why we feel you should get the experience of sound in HD. Visit carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, hammonddesign.com. This podcast is funded in part by the sustaining members of The Shield. The Shield is a monthly giving society dedicated to protecting the future of Bluecoats. Donors give monthly and support Bluecoats programs, and as a thank you, they receive insider access to content and special events. To become a sustaining member, visit bluecoats.com slash the shield. 
So one of the important things about this time with CHOP maintenance and practicing is just the accountability of doing it in the first place. So we want to talk about maybe some different options or things that you can do to create that same level of accountability, even though you're not turning in a practice record and nobody else is really hearing you play or anything like that. So some of the different things that I've seen, at least, and feel free to jump in with, with other things you guys have seen, is you know the idea of, of live or virtually live practice sessions or performances. I've seen all kinds of different musicians doing stuff online, you know, whether it's like on Facebook Live or Instagram Live, Periscope, things like that. Even if it's just a practice session, something that holds you accountable for what you're doing during your time because you wouldn't want to see you, or I'm sorry, you wouldn't want people to see you just kind of screwing around on your instrument doing things like that. And so I think the importance of, of just being held accountable uh, for your practice sessions and then uh, if you, you know, if you choose to have the opportunity to do a virtual performance per se or like a mini recital, if you will, what types of things uh, have you guys seen over the last few weeks? Yeah, I've seen um, a lot of actually professional musicians doing this kind of stuff and not even just for live practicing, but for, for free masterclasses and kind of lesson, mini lesson type things, whether it's a tip of the day or playing with other professionals. Um, it's, it's really cool to see that and for, for students and even professionals to hear that other stuff that's going on out there. And then also from a, from a Facebook live standpoint, practicing a lot of that is really good. I've, I've seen, one of, one of my friends he, I, I marched with, um, his, his mom is a, a pianist and they do mini recitals all the time, which is really cool. Um, just for the, just playing music. And I think that's really neat. And then also from Instagram live, you can connect with so many other people via following people and hashtags and all kinds of stuff, which is super neat. Acapella groups and small ensembles with that. It's, it's kind of cool to see. What types of things have, have you seen lately, Chris? Yeah, a lot of similar things. There, there's um, right now. There's a Facebook, a private Facebook group of a lot of trumpet freelancers. That uh, there's been a challenge every day to play like a certain piece or excerpt. You know, and it's in a good natured spirit. You know, we're all trying to get through this together. But it's been uh, really inspiring to to see like the feedback and a challenge. You know, like. Uh, some people have never played those pieces before and they're just kind of throwing it out there and seeing what kind of happens. And it's, there's a lot of fun with it. And it's, it's very similar to like maybe working out with a buddy. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot more accountability. You're, you're going to show up if you know that your, your friend's going to show up at the gym, you know, with you. So I think through this, you know, if you kind of have some accountability and it doesn't have to be someone that's your same instrument either. And in fact, I've learned more by playing for you know, clarinetists and oboists and violinists than maybe just playing for a trumpet players. And typically when it's your own instrument, there's like, oh, I know how challenging that is, or I know that's tough, or, you know, like, yeah, so there's, there's kind a of a bit of bias already there. <laughs> yeah, there's a forgiveness. So yeah, it's, uh, there's all sorts of, um, I wouldn't say just a, accountability online, but it's, um, that's where it's tough at being a musician, because we're, we straddle between entertainment and, you know, kind of a professional, there's a, there's a product, there's something that, that people expect a, a certain uh, level of polish to. So uh, we have to be critical, yet we entertain and have fun, you know? So again, this is another unprecedented opportunity to, to kind of work on, on both of there. And I, I've really been impressed with people that do the, the acapella. I, I still haven't, um, 
uh, gotten on there and, and done that yet. I used to do a lot of multi-tracking, just like audio stuff when I was, you know, in high school, just to mess around and play duets and octets and all these things. That's something I, I was kind of looking into, but it's really impressive to, to see these huge uh, acapella uh, multi-tracks. It's harder than it looks too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, there there's an app uh, out there called Acapella that gives you the opportunity to do some multi-tracking and, and can be a little confusing. And you know, maybe one of the easy ways to to start with this would be just doing simple duets with yourself. Uh, you could also do it with someone else if uh, if you wanted to, as long as you you know, you've probably seen videos. The reason they have headphones is headphones in is because they've got to maintain the same tempo. But there, even within just yourself, if you want to just play a duet with yourself, record yourself once playing you know the first part and then record yourself again. And that can help with listening skills and, and reminding yourself what it's used to play in some type of ensemble, even though it's just a duet and it happens to be with yourself. But um, and then, you know, maybe leading into trios or quartets. I've seen uh, some video out there, uh, a student that played. Uh, one of the movements of one of the whole suites and learned every instrument in the band, <laughs> which is pretty insane to do something like that. And we're not saying you need to jump in <laughs> that fast, but even just a simple duet and, you know, just finding music online, you know, there's lots of places you can go to um, find orchestral excerpts and things like that. Um, as far as, Public domain music, you know, imslp.org is a great place to start. Um, if you want to look at band music, there's a website, bandmusicpdfs.org, I believe, yeah. is what it is. That there's all Again, it's all public domain stuff, so you're not breaking any rules or anything like that, not stealing money from anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that gives you opportunities to play either band lit or orchestral lit that's all in the public domain, and, and it has all of the parts so like if you want to do, say if there's three trumpet parts or like a full low brass part, you can put all of that together and, and do that with your yourself, basically. Yeah. Have you guys done anything like that or, or know of other places people can go? I found also that when a military band uh, is offering, or they, there's a vacancy, a job vacancy, they'll often put out a, uh, a list of excerpts, uh, you know, for your instrument that are free to the, the public to use. So I've collected a lot of, um, obscure, you know, band excerpts, uh, Claude mm-hmm. Smith and Ives and, um, uh, the, the Williams, um, was it the malice or the, the hero, the summit of the heroes, you know, like, so one of these hard solos and, uh, or Hindemith B flat symphony. So, and, and if you want to get a jump on that, if you had any plans of like auditioning for a military band, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of time to work on those, uh, excerpts, but that's also been a, a resource that I've used. Yeah, I've used um, I've used that as well. Um, BrassExcerpts.com is another good good website. And then also, I've just kept like Chris said, I go online and search for you know euphonium auditions in the past, and of course, there's like three that pop up. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, uh, I I collect them, and I have a I have a book that I've kind of made, and so any excerpt that gets called, I have it ready to go. And then also for sight reading, that's, that's a great resource as well. And I have some, you know, Charlie etudes that I try to sight read through and practice treble clef and bass clef and tenor clef. You know, it's, it's always good to have those and practicing different instruments, music as well, like read, read through clarinet etudes and, and practice that for B flat treble clef. And so those are, those are some good options to have. 
and just always have, like I said earlier, always have these excerpts kind of like on the back burner, ready to go at any time. Right. Yeah. I, I've listened to other professional musicians talk about also just the idea of playing along with recordings. Mm-hmm. Have you guys done anything like that or do you encourage anything like that with your students? Yeah. And you know, it can be challenging, you know, sometimes depending on what you're playing. I've had a lot of success playing along with brass quintet uh, music. Uh, not only is it, it pretty challenging, but it is written pretty well where you get breaks in there and you go very quickly from melody to accompaniment or background and foreground, you know, maybe with like a, like a Mahler eight, you know, excerpt, you could be counting, you know, 237 measures, you know, until you come in and that's, that's not as fun, you know, uh, yeah, I definitely, it, and it, it keeps me in shape and there is kind of that muscle that doesn't get worked out. If you're practicing all the fundamentals in the world, there is a, a muscle of playing with people and making music together that, that needs it. Now we're kind of simulating that with a recording, you know, I, I can't influence the tempo at all in a recording and I can't, uh, you know, shape a phrase uh, the way that necessarily I, I would want to, but it still, it, it mimics it the best we can uh, right now, but yeah, definitely uh, recordings. And then, you know, you're expanding your ear. You're, you're, um, you're working on what a great sound is for your instrument. And you're, you're stockpiling that vocabulary, that sound vocabulary. And uh, we're mimicking it just the way that you would maybe want to do an accent. Or, you know, you're using your ears to shape your mouth in a way to imitate that. And especially if you're a student, you're trying to imitate as much as you can. And then that, that becomes your voice uh, eventually. And and that's the real goal. Yeah. And I'd like to add on to that, just not only playing with recordings, but having the score in front of you to listen along with for style, interpretation, uh, knowing when you have the melody versus accompaniment. And then just imagine yourself playing within the ensemble. I've done where I have headphones on while I'm playing, kind of, you know, if, if it's over ear headphones, having one, having one off and one on and hearing my sound and versus hearing the hearing the ensemble with me, especially for, for orchestra, for me as a primary euphonium player, I've played in orchestra a few times, but that's not something that I get to do very often. And playing the planets, having the score and being to know the part very well um, so that I don't even have to count rest and just know where I come in um, is also something that's super important to me. Yeah. And I was going to say, um, you know, speaking of, we don't get to play in multi-million dollar stages and you know even if you're in a university and have a nice stage and uh these places we're stuck in you know maybe our apartments or dorms or, or homes even if you have a modest setup with garage band and maybe a usb microphone putting a little reverb i found that actually playing into a microphone you know you're actually hearing what's coming directly out of the bell and that's something that you know is going to clue you into what's going on and it's going to help with the, the health of your sound than playing in a very dry uh, room all the time. And, you know, you might have a little bit more enjoyment. You might record yourself more often if you're, if you're doing that too. So there, there's a lot of benefits to that and it can make your practice sessions a, a, a lot more uh, fun. And to go along with that, we talked about the acapella app earlier. One thing I would suggest is not putting the phone at a selfie angle on the stand, you know, putting it back further away from you. So you get a better, you get a better view maybe clean your room a little bit before you do that. <laughs> but also, also buying a cheap microphone. Like you, there's very reasonable ones out there um, that plug into your phone that you can use. You don't have to have an extravagant setup, but you know, cheap ones that, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can put a link on, uh, on the podcast to, for some mics for, for everyone, but there's some really quality audio 
options out there that are pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some other things that I've, I've found on YouTube and I'm sure there's other places as well is piano accompaniments to solos. Mm-hmm. And so where they would show the sheet music for the solo on the screen and have a piano accompaniment part playing along. And, you know, especially for younger musicians, I think that would be uh, a really good thing because some, or actually I would say many students didn't get the opportunity to do their solo and ensemble performance this year. Mm-hmm. And so that could give them something similar so they understand how to play in an ensemble. I know a lot of times when I was a band director, many of the students, they would get their opportunity to rehearse with their accompanist and they have no idea what's going on. <laughs> they just kind of play and it's more about the the pianist trying to follow whatever in the world the student is doing than the student actually listening to the pianist to wonder what's going on. Yeah. And so I think that would be another, this is another great opportunity as we're looking for others to you know, play along with, um, that may be another great oper- opportunity. Yeah, and more now more than ever on YouTube, there's probably like a 90% chance that whatever solo you're playing or, or piece like a orchestral or, or band piece, there's probably going to be a score with a recording of it on YouTube that at the very least that you can follow along to. And I don't think, you know, when maybe we're growing up that those opportunities weren't available, you know, you had to have the physical, you had to go to the library and get a recording and stuff like that. And I know that's, that's so tough to do, but, uh, you know, it, it's so easy now to, to do that. And now that we have this time, you know, it's also motivating too, that generally the first thing I do is I'll go and listen to a solo with the accompanist playing and, and looking at the score and it motivates me to go practice and, you know, great music will do that. And, that can be another um, way to to kind of get you to to practice, and you're also again you're building that that sound vocabulary in your ear. Yeah, another platform to add on to you know YouTube or just online in general, smart music. They have a lot of they have a lot of solos with piano accompaniment already built in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's something to check out as well. I know a few of my students at um, at one of my schools in Austin here. They're they're taking advantage of smart music. Yeah. So, you know, it's as we start to wrap some of this stuff up here, both of you are private lesson teachers in in your areas and have been doing that for a while and have had to switch to a fully online environment now. And so for for those students out there that are listening, I would highly encourage you to to stay involved with with teachers to help you through this time rather than just going on your own. Hopefully in this episode, we've given you some ideas of different things to do, you know, with just the process of, of practicing in general, as well as some specific things that you can do or places you can go to, to find things to work on. Do you guys have anything you want to add to uh, wrap things up on just other, any other general tips or anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the online private lessons thing is, you know, not even, not even right now, but for the, for the future and in the past, I've, I mean, I've taken, I've taken online lessons with people from Australia, from DC, for the, for bands. And for me, the, the best thing that helped me was the setup, having a good microphone, having, you know, a larger room with good lighting, um, and then accessibility to send PDFs as well. You know, that's, that's super important. That's what I've been telling all my students. I'm like, you know, I want you to sit where I can see, see everything that's going on. I want to see your hand position. I want to see your embouchure. I want to see your posture and just having them send me their, their audition music that I didn't get or, stuff like that, that they're working on, just being able to see that. Um, and then in the future, like 
if you want to take a lesson with a pro or somebody that you look up to, like that doesn't change anything. You don't have to travel now to, to go take lessons. And I, my teacher talks about him studying with Arnold Jacobs. He lived in, in Baton Rouge and would take a train all the way to Chicago to study with Arnold Jacobs. Like that's, we don't have to do that anymore. Like technology is, is set up so we can virtually have a, have a lesson in person online. Yeah. And there's definitely a learning curve to this. I think as teachers and students, as we're trying to settle in and, you know, I think I'm getting into a groove uh, teaching online and obviously in person is, is preferable, you know? Uh, uh, but like you're saying, yeah, I think well lit as good a quality as you can. I know that that's every household will have, you know, the, the obstacles with that. What I've been telling people is to make sure if you're doing it on your phone, that you have a separate metronome because they can't really play with my metronome and, vice versa. So uh, that really makes it handy to play. And again, even with the lessons, it's just, there's an accountability, you know, of just showing up, you know, you have a lesson, you've been assigned what to do. And, you know, and and maybe finally, like I I tell my students, like learning instrument is like climbing like a, a mountain, like Mount Everest. And all I'm trying to do is show you a way up the mountain that I learned from my, my teachers. And, you know, there's several ways up the mountain. I think there's easier ways up the mountain than other ones. And if I show you the pathway, you still physically have to take the steps yourself to get up to that point. And I'm still going up the mountain myself. And uh, I'm not saying I'm at the, the top or anything like that, but you're actually physically, physically going to have to take the steps. And I'm just kind of showing you a pathway and, and you might want to go on your own pathway at some point. Uh, and that's fine, but, um, it's just about kind of showing you up, showing up and, and, and knowing what to do. And that mountain never, never stops growing. Never. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything that we've talked about in this episode, different ideas and tips, uh, we'll put a link in the description for this episode to a Google drive folder that, uh, the listeners can go to and, and see some of the links to other places as well as, you know, maybe some PDFs or some handouts that, that we mentioned along the way. So thank you both for joining us today and that'll wrap it up for this episode. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Bob. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. Please tell your friends about our podcast and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have any topics you'd like to suggest or questions for us to answer in future episodes, please email us at brasspodcast at bluecoats.com. You can catch us on Instagram at bluecoats or at bluebrass, spelled B-L-O-O brass. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the handle bluecoats. To learn more about the Bluecoats organization and all of its offerings, visit us on the web at bluecoats.com. Our podcast is made possible in part from the support of Hammond Design, the official mouthpiece designer and manufacturer of the Bluecoats Drum and Bugle Corps. As a performance partner of the Bluecoats, we trust HD with our sound, and we think you should too. Learn more at carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, hammonddesign.com. <laughs>